doing? Guess how I'm doing? I'm doing pretty fabulous. I'm doing so well, man. I'm so excited to be here. I'm loving going through the book of Ezra with you. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're reading along or ahead, you know, coming prepared for um, God's Word. Um, Man, I just love doing this with you guys. What a great weekend. Always love worshiping with you guys and going through God's Word together. Love it, love it, love it. I'm going to move this. I almost tripped. Did you notice that? I don't think that's going to move too well. I'm leaving that there. It's good to be with you guys. Let's, um, we're going to jump right in. got a lot of ground to cover. I'm so excited about this morning. I'm so excited about this morning. Thanks that we get to do this together. Thank you so much. Let's go ahead and, and put that first slide up. You guys, this is review. I think it's always good for us to review on some level uh, kind of where we're at in, in, in our Bible adventure through Ezra and then eventually through, through Nehemiah. There was three deportations when the Jews were exiled to Babylon. And then there was three returns from Babylonian captivity, which is now under the Persian Empire, Persian rule. And so when we went through Ezra 1 through 6, we're in Ezra 8 today, but when we went through Ezra 1 through 6, that's when we got to look at phase 1, of the first return of God's people back to uh, Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And then last week we started Ezra 7, and now we're in Ezra 8. We're going to do verses 1 through 23 today. And it's the phase two, or the second return of God's people. And then when you get to Nehemiah, that's the third return of God's people back to Jerusalem. And then there's a timeline that I keep showing as well. I think it's healthy for us to understand our timeline. If we can put that up as well. Um, if you remember there, the, in 605, those first three uh, listings, 605 and 597 and 586, the first and the second and the third deportation under King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon. And then, and then in 539, Cyrus conquers um, Babylon. He's the king of Persia. And then a year later, he issues a decree that the Jews can go back. And that's in Ezra 1. And then a year later, in 537, about 50,000 Jews return to the land. And that's Ezra chapter 2. And then the foundation of the temple is laid in 536. And of course, that's Ezra 3. And then the work gets interrupted that same year because of opposition from the local people there. And that's Ezra 4. And then in Ezra 5, we see that the work resumes 16 years later. And then that's where the ministry of of Haggai and Zechariah, two of the minor prophets in in Old Testament Scripture, that's where their ministry takes place. And then a couple weeks ago, Pastor Doug preached through Ezra 6 when the the temple was completed. And if you notice from, from Ezra 6 to Ezra 7, from 515 to 458 B.C., that's a period of 57 years. So Ezra 6 finishes, and as we discussed last week, Ezra 7 starts out, but 57 years has passed. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Okay? And if you do also notice, from the very first deportation of 605, the second return takes place in 458. That's nearly 150 years has gone by before the second return takes place. Okay? Last week in Ezra chapter 7, we were finally introduced to who? To Ezra. Ezra, where you been? Ezra was hiding from chapters 1 through 6. But finally in chapter 7, we get introduced to Ezra. And we learned of Ezra's character in chapter 7. Do you remember which verse that we learned of Ezra's character in chapter 7? Does anybody remember? Be bold. 
Ezra 7, verse what? 10. Ezra 7, verse 10. That's where we learn of Ezra's character. Okay, let's read that by way of reminder. For Ezra, he set his heart. All of us set our hearts on something. Ezra set his heart to study God's Word and to practice God's Word and to teach God's Word. And so we established last week that Ezra was a faithful Jew. If you remember that, that was one of our outline points. That Ezra was a faithful Jew and how the Lord was providing for a fortified journey through the king Artaxerxes to go back to Jerusalem. Faithful Jew led to a fortified journey. And the king, Artaxerxes, gave permission. He provided silver and gold and all the utensils for the worship were, were going to be returned. As a matter of fact, Ezra 7 verse 6 says that the king granted Ezra all he requested. Oh, I want to do that. Isn't that cool? And we also saw in, in chapter 7 in verse 6, verse 9, and verse 28 how the good hand of the Lord was upon Ezra. Is the good hand of the Lord upon you? Is the good hand of the Lord upon you? The good hand of the Lord was upon Ezra. And what we learn from that, listen, is that the faithful hand of God is upon those who are faithful to His Word. That's what we learned last week. That the faithful hand of God is upon those who are faithful to His Word. I've been walking with the Lord since I was 15. I am here to tell you, I am living proof that the faithful hand of God has been upon me because as a teenager, I have been faithful to His Word. I'm telling you, has my life been perfect? No way. No way. Has it had challenges? For sure. But I am telling you, His hand has been upon me. I am so hyper aware of that reality. And it's because I've been faithful to His Word. There's no doubt in my mind. We're going to see that two more times in chapter 8, verses 1 through 23, where God's hand is upon his people and upon Ezra. So, the temple had been restored. We already saw that, Ezra 1 through Ezra 6. And so now Ezra is going to lead another group back to Jerusalem to restore the community. The temple's been restored. Now the community needs to be restored according to what? God's Word. According to God's Word. So Ezra is a man who is committed, who set his heart to study and obey and to teach God's Word. Here's Ezra's influence upon our lives. I'm going to read this, and you can see this as I read this. Ezra's influence, Ezra's careful study of the Word of God increased his faith and helped him to understand God's plans, and he wanted to be part of those plans. And I said this last week, and I just thought, I, and I didn't put it on the screen. I wanted to put it on the screen. We need to be careful studiers of God's Word. But that's just step one. From that, we should see our faith increase. We should see our understanding of who God is and how He works. We should see that increase. And then we must come alongside that reality and have an increased participation in what God's doing. God's at work. God's at work. Trust me, God's at work. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're at work. We thank you that you tap us on the shoulder and you ask us to participate. But Lord, we want to participate well and so we need to do that according to your word because that's what makes all things clear. 
And for that we thank you. We thank you that Ezra has set a great example for us to set our hearts to your word, to study it, to practice it, and to teach it so that the good hand of our God will be upon us. Lord, we thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. All right, so we're going to read Ezra 8, 1 through 23. But I need to tell you, there's a lot of names in 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through 23. I worked at least an hour, about an hour, trying to pronounce all these names well. When I'm done, if the Lord leads you to applaud for my efforts, <laughs> please applaud. If the Lord doesn't lead you to applaud, I will remind you to applaud out of my flesh. Okay? So all of you should be applauding, either for spiritual reasons or fleshly reasons. But I want you to know, I receive it all. We're clear. I think I've made myself pretty clear, right? All right. I'm not kidding you. I worked really, really hard. Somebody told me last service I I messed up one name. And I said, which one? They said, David. I didn't mess up David. It was probably one of the harder ones, but I don't even know. And it's like, how do you know? I don't know. All right, we ready? This is going to be so cool. It's going to take me an hour to get through this, but that's okay. We've got nowhere to go, right? We've got an extra day this weekend. Now, these are the heads of their father's households and the genealogical enrollment of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes. And the sons of Phineas. Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattish, of the sons of Shechaniah, who was of the sons of Perish, Zechariah, and with him 150 males who were in the genealogical list, of the sons of Pehath Moab, Elihonai, the son of Zerahiah, and 200 males with him, of the sons of Zatu, Shechaniah, the son of Jehaziel, and 300 males with him, of the sons of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and fifty males with him. And of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah, and seventy males with him. And of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and eighty males with him. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and two hundred eighteen males with him. And of the sons of Bani, Shelomith, the son of Josephiah, and one hundred sixty males with him. And of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, and 28 males with him. And of the son of Azgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and 110 males with him. And of the sons of Adonikim, the last ones, these being their names, Eliphelet, Jeuel, and Shemaiah, and 60 males with them. And of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zabad, and 70 males with them. Now I assembled them at the river that runs to Ahava, where we camped for three days. When I observed the people and the priests, I didn't find any Levites there, Ezra says. And so I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, El-Nathan, Jerib, El-Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Joyarib and El-Nathan, teachers. And I sent them to Edo, the leading man at the place, uh, Cassiphia. And I told them, what to say to Edo and his brothers, the temple servants at the place, Cassiphia, that is, to bring ministers to us for the house of our God before we leave. According to the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of insight of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely this person, Sherebiah. 
and his sons and brothers, there was 18 total, and Hashabiah and Jeshiah of the sons of Merari, with his brothers and their sons, 20 more. So you have 38 Levites, and then 220 temple servants, which were called Nephanim, whom David and the princes had given for the service of the, of the Levites. All of them were designated by name. Verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast, Ezra did, there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king that the hand of our God is favorably disposed. On who? On all who seek Him. God's hand is favorably disposed on all who seek Him. But His power and His anger are against all those who forsake Him. And so we fasted and we sought God concerning our journey. And He listened and He answered our prayer. I'm done. You can applaud now. I'm sweating inside. Holy moly. Isn't that fun? Let me show you a chart of the Persian kings. We know this. I just think this is healthy for us to do. When they finished the temple, if you remember, the temple was finished in 515 during the reign of Darius I. And now 57 years uh, later, uh, from 515, we're in 458 during the reign of Artaxerxes I. 57 years later. And then we got this little map, and it might help a little bit. I think Pastor Dave showed this a few weeks back when he preached in Ezra 2. But on the right side of the screen is where Babylon is, and the river of Ahava, and Cassiphia. And it's a four-month journey back to Jerusalem. It's a big sacrifice for people to uproot. And if you recall, and I'm going to talk about this later, that 150 years had passed by since the first deportation. So here's our outline. This text divides beautifully into three stanzas. These are the three stanzas. These, you'll see it in the text. But there's a list of movers. A list of people that were willing to move in verses 1 through 14. And then we see in verses 15 through 20 that Ezra gathers them around for three days. And he takes inventory and he's like, what the heck? There's no Levites here. There's thousands of people there, but not one Levite. Hmm. So there's a lack of ministers. And then we see a load of maturity that before they even take one step on that journey, they beseech the heart of God for protection and provision before they take off. So there's just a load of maturity on Ezra's part. So let's hit the first stanza, a list of movers. I mentioned this a few times already. From roughly 600 B.C., now it's roughly 450 B.C., 150 years has passed since they were first exiled out of their hometown way far away to Babylon. 150 years. These Jews were comfortable and quite satisfied to live and die in Babylon. That's all they've known. That's their hometown now, if you will. They had followed, all they were doing was being obedient, they had followed Jeremiah's counsel to be good citizens in Babylon. Did you know Jeremiah told them that? He says, you're going to, you're going to, Get kicked out of your hometown, Jerusalem. And when you go to Babylon, be good citizens. Check this out. Look at Jeremiah 29, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Where God says through Jeremiah, to all the exiles whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, 
plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply and do not decrease. Seek the welfare, which means peace. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. This generation of Jews had never seen Jerusalem or the temple. And arguably, they had little or no interest in it. Many of the men were employed in government or business, and they were unable to relocate without paying a great price. Perhaps a what's-this-got-to-do-with-me mentality may have set in to these people. Something the enemy would have all of us believe. What's that got to do with me? What's that got to do with me? What's that got to do with me? And yet God's always doing something. And arguably, it all has something to do with us. And we have to say, what is our role? Jesus had the same challenge hundreds of years later. Trying to enlist disciples for the cause of Christ that were settled into their own lifestyles, their own success. And if you want, you can read about that in Luke chapter 9. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus goes on and says this. And we know this verse in Luke 10, verse 2. He's saying, the harvest is plentiful, church, but the laborers are few. Beseech, pray, ask, beg the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Many Jews were were thriving in Babylon. Think about this. They were thriving in a place of captivity. They were thriving in a place of captivity. Sometimes things are comfortable and things are going well, but we don't belong there. If we don't know the full story, we can too easily lose sight of the bigger picture and lose interest. It's the best thing the enemy can do is just get us to lose sight of the big picture, give us success in the captivity that we live in, and just lose sight of what God's doing, that God's always doing something. Context is everything. Context is everything in how we make decisions. What is the earthly reward for having a successful lifestyle? It's pretty obvious. We don't have to guess much. It's all around us. There is a reward. There's an earthly reward for having a successful earthly lifestyle. But what's the heavenly reward of complete surrender to our God? I believe that we're willing to pay a big price when we know and trust that there's a big payoff. Yeah? I believe that. We're willing to pay a big price when we know and trust there's a big payoff. So here's a tough question. Are you and I willing to pay a big price? We're not going to if we don't understand that there's a big payoff. And we understand that there's a big payoff when we understand what God said to us through His written Word. Where we have a clear understanding that there's a big payoff. And there's a lot at stake. I just love those verses. Our first stanza, verses 1 through 14. I love this list of movers that we see in verses 1 through 14. What a great way to honor those that honored the purposes of God. And that's why I wanted to get those names right. Does that make sense? What a great way to honor 
those that honored the purposes of God that said, yeah, I'll go back. As we allow the Lord to have His way with His church and whatever it is that He calls us to, the Lord registers your name. He knows our names. When we give it all up to Him, when we do things for Him, He jots down our name and He registers every one of our names. Why? Because all of us count and my name's listed next to your name. And what an honor that is for me and for all of us. Because each of us count. Each of us count. I wanted to do those names well. To honor those that honor the name of our Lord. What could be more important than that? God knows us. We count for Him. I love that. Our second stanza is a lack of ministers. And that's verses 15 through 20. Let's read those verses again. Where we see a lack of of Levites or a lack of ministers. Starting at verse 15. So Levi says, or, or Ezra says, Now I assembled them at the river that runs to Ahava, where we camped for three days. And when I observed the people and the priests, I did not find any Levites there. So I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Joyarib and Elnathan, teachers. And I sent them to Edo, the leading men, at a place called Cassiphia. And I told them what to say to him. And at the end of that verse, 17, Bring ministers to us for the house of our God. According to the good hand of our God, they did that. They brought us a man of insight of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel. And his name is Sherebiah. And his sons and brothers, there's 18 of them. And then Hashabiah and Jeshiah, the sons of Merari, with brothers and sons, 20 more. So you have 38 Levites and then 220 temple servants. Based on what we know about Ezra, from Ezra 7, verse 10, Ezra would know what's needed. Ezra would know because he set his heart to know God's Word and to practice it and to teach it. He would know what's needed for a spiritual journey, a godly journey. Because a heart set to study and practice the Word of God allows for proper preparation for the journeys we take. That's the takeaway. A heart set to study and practice the Word of God allows for proper preparation for the journeys that we take. Ezra took three days. He knew he can go. King Artaxerxes not only said you can go, but said take whatever you want. But he didn't step one foot, right? He took three days to assess what's going on, to fast and to pray. Maybe it's just me, but often we get ahead of God, don't we? We get a clear direction from God and we just jump out. We just jump out and God's like, whoa. We get ahead of God and we take our journeys unprepared. Many of us have had more than one journey. We have these journeys, just these stages of life. And we go on these journeys and we're unprepared. Ezra was granted, we know this from Ezra 7, Ezra was granted physical resources by the king. He was granted physical resources by the king, but he desperately needed spiritual resources by the true king in order for that journey to be successful. You get it? The first return was 80 years ago, in 538. This is 80 years later. 
In that first return, which is in Ezra chapter 2, there was about 50,000 Jews, which no doubt 80 years later has probably multiplied to 100, 150,000 people. This return in Ezra 8, there's about another 5,000 with uh, women and children. And Levites taught the law. There was a large group of people because Ezra is about reestablishing the community. He's going to go back to reestablish the community around the Word of God. And so we need people because the community's grown to teach God's law to all of these people. So they had a, an extremely important role in reestablishing God's community around His Word. Listen, all communities have law and order. All communities must have law and order. Especially the church. Especially the church. Arguably, there's no law and order outside of the church. While the Word certainly speaks to us personally, it speaks to us more so communally. The Word speaks to us. God chose a people group, a nation. He speaks to us communally more so than He does to us personally. So there's a huge question emerging in these verses. Huge question. Anybody know what that question is? Why aren't there any Levites there? The king grants them permission to go. He gives them all these physical resources. Ezra shows up and he camps out for three days and it's like, whoa, not a one Levite is in the camp. Why? Here's the reality. It was difficult to be involved in the disciplined ministry of temple service. It was difficult. One commentary says this, No doubt a certain amount of prosperity in Babylon and the kind of servile work assigned to Levites did not make it easy to recruit them to return. I had to look up the word servile, just so you know. It means submissive. Submissive work. Trying hard to please someone. That as a temple servant, or working in the church, if you will, we're submissive to God and the things He calls us to. We're submissive to the people that we serve. Because we want them to be pleased. And that's hard. I've, I, I, it's just hard work. But, <laughs> I think as the Rock Community Church, I want to take this moment to commend this church. You guys, all ministry is challenging. Following the Lord is challenging. This church makes it so much easier. You guys just do. On behalf of myself and Pastor Doug and Pastor Rob and Pastor Dave and the elders and the trustees, thank you for making this part of our demanding job easier. You guys are so good to us. You are so good to us. It's so humbling to serve you. You treat us so well. And I say thank you so very, very much. Even Zerubbabel in Ezra chapter 2 had very few Levites return with him. There's an article by Dennis Bickers, July 26th of last year, 2016, so not even a year ago. He's a church consultant and, and an author, and he, he says this, Growing numbers of pastors are approaching retirement. There are not enough students in seminary today to fill the empty pulpits that already exist, and many of these students do not plan to enter pastoral ministry. Some current pastors are drawn to new church planting as a way to escape some of the problems found in their existing church. Don't make me plant a church, people. Please. 
For several years, we have seen about 50% of pastors leave the ministry within five years of graduating seminary. They're 27, or maybe 28, 29, maybe 30 years old. Like that career's over. Within five years of graduating seminary, when you add all these things together, plus other factors not mentioned, we have far fewer pastors than we have churches with nothing on the horizon that will change this. Serving the Lord is tough. And again, I say thank you for making it easier. Thank you so very, very much. You're so good to me and my family and the other pastors and their families. Thank you. Thank you for keeping us in your prayers. Do not stop. You must not stop praying for us. If I'm messed up, pray for me. Keep praying. Then then come talk to me, but pray first. Anyway. There's not enough time to mention all those who lead and serve at this church. But I must thank Doug and Kathy Renault, as I have in the other two services, and their faithful prayer, prayer team that shows up every Monday night for an hour and a half to two hours every Monday to pray for this church, to pray for its pastors, to pray for its leaders, to pray for the different ministries, to pray for all the people that lead those ministries, to pray for all the people that serve within those ministries. It's needed. It's so necessary. While serving the Lord at increasingly higher levels is challenging, to be sure. It's also a sign of growth and maturity. While serving the Lord at increasingly higher levels is challenging, it's also a sign of growth and maturity. I want to challenge you. Ask the Lord what's next. God, what's next for me? I've been serving here. What's the next level up? Take a risk. Take a chance. Ask God what's next for you. Hey, newsflash. Nobody wants the job I had. Nobody wants to replace Pastor John Warhaus, who's kind of legendary in these parts, in case you had known. <laughs> Nobody wants that job. Honestly. I remember telling my wife, she's like, like, it was getting real. And we hadn't been offered a job yet, and I wasn't sure if I'd take it even if I had. And my wife's saying, are we sure we want to do this? And I says, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> but here's what came up for me. I'm telling you. Here's what came up for me. John's got to retire, man. He was pushing 80. There's two choices for the church. This is just how simple it was for me. Two choices. Somebody take the job or close the church down. Those are the only options, right? Somebody take the job or close the church down. John's a gifted guy. I thought I'd take a risk. It didn't seem wise. I didn't think God wanted the church to shut down. That didn't resonate. And I'm like, gotta be kidding me. Lord, leave me alone, man. I was minding my own business. Everything was cool. But I thought I'd take a risk. And people are still showing up, so I think it worked out fine so far. Yeah. Well. You get what I'm saying, right? Let's take risks for the Lord. Let's mature. Let's see what's next for us. How can I serve God at a, at a higher level? Why not? been good for me. It's been great for me. Watching the Lord show up all the time. Feeling in over my head at times and just trusting God to deliver on the promises that He made to me. Watch how God shows up for you. Mm. These six verses, 15 through 20, they show us that 38 Levites and 220 temple servants decide to go to Jerusalem. They go on this recruiting trip and they find 38 Levites. 
and 220 temple servants. Okay. From Ezra 6, Ezra 6 ends, Ezra 7 starts. Do you remember how many years were between those two chapters? 57. You said 60, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a passing grade. 57 years had passed from Ezra 6 to Ezra. The temple's done! Ezra's just chilling, waiting for 57 years to pass by, apparently. Do you know why 57 years passed? Does anybody know why? I have no idea. I have no clue. Ezra shows up. They're going back to Jerusalem. Oh, there's no Levites. They go and they find 38 Levites, 220 temple servants. How much time do they have to prepare? Three days. Do you know why? I have no clue. I don't know. I just think it's an interesting contrast. 57 years. The temple's done 57 years before Ezra bolts back. That's kind of slow. And then you got these Levites and these temple servants minding their own business, and it's like, hey, you got to go. How much time do I got? you got three days. Three days. Pack up. Go. Kind of fast. Kind of slow. Kind of fast. What's my point? We try to figure God out all the time. How's God working? Oh, that's going too fast. Can you imagine somebody saying that? Oh, it's too fast. No, you got to go. That's too slow, God. Right? So God does some things and he, it's just slow. And he does other things and it's fast. What's the most important thing is not trying to figure out if God's moving slow or moving fast. Is how are we going to respond? When he moves slow, will we chill and wait and trust? until he says go. And when he goes fast, will we respond and say, I'm all over it, man. I got it. Will we do that? Oh, I just love that contrast. I was 14, maybe 15, when I realized, and I'm not kidding when I say this, you can laugh if you want because I think it's kind of funny, I wanted to get married. I'm like, I'm 14, I'm pushing 15. I, I had in my heart to be a married man. I couldn't find anybody to marry me at that age, so I just kept holding out, the, you know, I didn't give up on the dream, right? And now I'm like 20, it was before my 23rd birthday, and I'm, I'm like, oh, what's going on? Like, I've been waiting, I wanted to get married. I just don't know how else to tell you that. But nobody wanted to marry me. <laughs> so it just felt really slow. It just felt slow, and I'm like, God, and I'm walking with the Lord, and I just got to this place, I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And I used to cycle, I still cycle now, but I was cycling a lot back then. I'm like, I'm going to go to Europe, and I'm going to cycle. Maybe I'll meet a girl in Europe. And the next day, I meet my wife. And then she proposed to me four months later. And I'm like, too fast, God, too fast. I proposed to her, and it was four months later, and seven months later we were married. And it's just, it is what it is. It's like, God, oh, it was taking so long, and it's like, whoa! I pray we aren't, we aren't always trying to figure God out. He works how He works. The bigger question is, how do we respond when He does? Will we chill when He tells us to chill, and when we go when He tells us to go? Let me ask you this. Listen to this word, the first word. Could. Could you and I uproot like they did in three days? Could you uproot in three days? Could you? Yes! All 
of us could. I can be out of here in less than 24 hours. I don't have much stuff. I could be so out of here. Give me a couple hours, I'm good. I don't need much. I could. All of us could get out of here in less than three days. We could. We could uproot in less than three days. What's the bigger question? Would you uproot in three days if God called you? Hey, look. We can sing, Lord. We can sing, God. We can sing. Lord means master. The master says, bolt, you better bolt. That's what it means. We can't call him Lord and say no. Can't be done. Oh, I love making us feel uncomfortable. Such a good word for us. Our third stanza is a load of maturity. Let's look at verses 21, 22, and 23. So Ezra proclaimed a fast at Ahava that they could humble themselves before God to seek from Him a safe journey. I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us because we told the king the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek Him. But His power and His anger are against all who forsake Him. So we did that. We fasted and we sought our God concerning this and He answered our prayer. Just think of all the journeys that we take in this thing called life. Good journeys. Important journeys. God journeys. How well are we preparing for these journeys? Martin Luther, the great reformer from the Protestant Reformation, he said this. This is a response to an assistant of his, if you will, that said, dude, we got to go. We got a busy day. And he replied, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer before I try to do. He wanted to be prepared for the journey. Ezra's destination was pretty clear. He knew. He knew. Got to go back. And the king provided all these things. But he did not rush off. He took time to pray and to prepare. In spite of the king's promise to fortify their journey, they still humble themselves and seek wisdom from God. And sometimes when the Lord works through man, we start to focus on the man and not on the Lord. Perhaps we uh, at times dishonor the Lord by putting our trust in His provision instead of uh, putting our trust in the provider. Right? But they knew, Ezra and these people, they knew where their help came from. And it makes me think of Second Chronicles 32, verse 8, that with Him, this verse says, with Him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. The psalmist in Psalm 124, verse 8 says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen? Listen, when it says in verse 21 that we might humble ourselves before our God, do we even know what that means? To humble ourselves before God, it reveals a spiritual understanding and dependence. Our acknowledgement that God is in what? Control. That's exactly right. Being humble before God reveals our spiritual dependence and our acknowledgement that God is in control, not us. And so I wonder, how much, what percentage of your life, my life, is under God's control? 
because you're humble enough to recognize that you and I are spiritually dependent. And of course, what percentage of your life or my life is under our own control because we lack humility and we depend upon ourselves. It's really what it means that thou shalt have no other gods before me. It includes yourself. We are to depend entirely upon Him. Amen? Thanks for letting me laugh with you. That was a lot of fun. What a privilege to do this. Again, I just can't thank this church enough. Thank you for loving us so well. Let me pray. And when I'm done praying, our prayer team is available over here in the corner. If you need any prayer after service for anything, please go see our prayer team. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love you and we thank you for your good word to us. We thank you for Ezra, this character that set his heart to study your word, to practice it and to teach it, and that your good hand was upon him. Thank you, Lord, that you fortified his journey and you fortify our journey if we would but set our heart to study and to practice your word. Lord, we pray that you just continue to shift us, even if it's ever so slightly, shift us into the image of your Son. Thank you for the grace that you extend and your patience as we slowly sometimes allow you to shift us and change us. We're so humbled to be in your presence. We love you and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Hey, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thanks, you guys.